Okay, let's talk about your next patient. Sure. So the next patient is a 54-year-old white female who had a suspicious nodule in her right breast on a mammogram in November 2010. She came to biopsy, and this showed an infiltrating ductal carcinoma, grade 2. Estrogen and progesterone receptors were positive. HER2 was negative, and the KI67 was 66%. She saw a surgeon who went ahead and did breast conservation surgery, and at the time of surgery, he placed the catheter for a partial breast irradiation approach. The patient had not seen a medical oncologist about this, but anyway, he had worked it out with the radiation oncologist. The pathology on the tumor was a two-centimeter tumor. The nodes were negative, and the patient went ahead and had the partial breast irradiation. So at the time that I saw her, she was still dealing with that issue. I told her that I was considering hormonal therapy as the standard cornerstone of her treatment, but that because of some features about her tumor, the tumor size, the KI-67, I thought that she should consider evaluation to see if she were at risk enough to warrant the use of chemotherapy. I offered her the Taylor X trial, and she said that she was going to take chemotherapy anyway, and she would not accept randomization to a non-chemotherapy arm. So we went ahead and did the Oncotype DX, and the recurrence score was 20, and I felt a little better about the decision. She got four cycles of TC, and a couple of things occurred. One was that she had a terrible ulcer in her right breast from the radiation. This was wide and deep and extraordinarily painful. And this was a tough thing for her. The second thing that was difficult was that I elicited a history of a family history of breast cancer, and I told her that she should consider having BRCA testing. She consented, and the BRCA came back showing a BRCA2 mutation. So I had the unenviable task of telling her that this whole approach with her breast and this big painful ulcer was probably all for naught, because I was going to eventually recommend that she have bilateral mastectomy and oophorectomy. In the meantime, she went ahead and had her four cycles of TC. She had terrible side effects with it. Was glad that she was done when we finally finished. And she went ahead and had her prophylactic ablative surgeries. And we've started her on an astrazole. So a few things just to pick up on quote, terrible side effects, exactly what happened. So it's very interesting. The first cycle, she had fever, headaches. She felt shaky all over, pyrosis, diarrhea, terrible bone pain from the growth factor. She had reactivation of herpes simplex in her genital area. Second cycle, diarrhea, epistaxis, cold feet, tender nails, red face. There was a long list with each visit. And finally, by the end of the treatment, she was complaining of severe lassitude, loss of her eyelashes, 
irritability, depression, and she actually thought, gee, I'd rather have cancer than to have more chemotherapy. So, hi, you know, we kind of, I think, think about TC as being a better tolerated therapy. How often do you hear stories like this? I think these stories are common, even though I think TC is a well-studied and very effective therapy, and I use a lot of TC. I think there's substantial toxicity. I think the fatigue with TC is much greater than, you know, historically we've seen with AC. Obviously, it's much less emetogenic. And a lot of the nail changes and things with docetaxel are very problematic to patients. The other thing about TC, and there were two excellent abstracts at ASCO, is it didn't happen to this patient. It's probably one of the few things she didn't report. But neutropenic fever is very common without growth factors. And in two more community and population-based studies, the incidence of neutropenic fever was about 25%. And with two nice studies presented at ASCO, so... Growth factor use is probably to be recommended in most patients, not just the elderly. And it is a regimen with a lot of side effects. That said, and there is only one randomized trial, it's perhaps more beneficial and it does spare you the long-term risks of cardiac toxicity and perhaps what may be a more important risk of anthracycline-based chemotherapy is that small but increased risk as people age of mild dysplasia and acute leukemia, which have not been seen, at least in the long-term follow-up of the TC type of regimens. So another very dramatic part of the story, Alan, is this ulcer that occurred related to the radiation therapy. Was she treated in a credible location? How do you explain what happened? Well, to be totally honest about this, the surgeon who referred this patient to me, rarely refers patients to me. The radiation oncologist, I have maybe shared one or two patients. This was something that was done without any input from us. We generally have not been recommending partial breast irradiation. We talk about it in our local area, and our radiation oncologists are not that enthusiastic about it. And I think the message for me for this case is that as breast cancer is more and more complex and multidisciplinary, I think a lot of these patients need to be presented prospectively and decisions should be made in a forum where these things can be discussed because this patient was not a good candidate for partial breast irradiation. I believe the tumor was too close to the skin. The catheter was probably abutting the skin. The ramifications for this poor woman were substantial. And I don't know if she felt relief or not after having to have a mastectomy, but it certainly took away the agony that she was experiencing with this radiation ulcer. Now, you mentioned, Alan, that you brought up at the time the issue of her participating in the Taylor X study, which was looking at chemotherapy in people who had intermediate oncotype chemo versus no chemo along with the hormones. That's since closed, but hi, now there's another study out there looking at patients similar to Taylor X, but looking at patients with node-positive disease. Can you talk about what that's looking at, what you think about the study, and whether or not you participate in it? So this is a study. It's a big intergroup study, and it's following up on some of the publications of Kathy Albane, 
work looking at the potential added value of chemotherapy to endocrine therapy in node positive breast cancer, and also some of the retrospective analyses of the ATT&CK trial, which suggests that patients, at least with few nodes, one or two nodes who have low scores derive minimal benefits from chemotherapy, and perhaps even if they have many nodes and have low scores derive minimal benefits from chemotherapy. But at least in this trial, which I guess is being led through the intergroup by the Southwest Oncology Group, it will be for patients who have one to three positive nodes who are hormone receptor positive, where the oncotype scores will be used as the basis of randomization to chemotherapy and not similar to the Taylor X trial. So I guess these are going to be people, though, with node positive, but also low recurrent scores. Low recurrent, you know, and I think it's a really good trial. We are debating participation. I think we should participate. I think the concerns many people have are this lumping of one to three nodes, that we might be very content to do it with one node in a lower grade tumor, but I think people get a little nervous when it's three nodes and an intermediate or higher grade tumor, even with a low score. So I think it's a very important study, and we are conservative and still treat most of our node-positive patients in our cancer center with chemotherapy, but I think we will probably join in on this trial. Alan, I know you're a big participant in clinical trials. I don't know if you're participating in this study, but based on your experience with the Taylor X study, how do you think people are going to respond to this type of trial? You know, whoever the patients are that are selected to potentially participate, maybe there'll be more patients with one node or whatever. But what was your experience with Taylor X in terms of how people responded to the idea of being randomized? And how do you think they'd respond in this situation? I think there are some contrasts between the two. So in the Taylor X trial, the situation is node negative patients, the default is giving hormonal therapy as the cornerstone. Can you identify a group of patients who would benefit from chemotherapy? My patients on Taylor X did very, very well. They had no problems with the randomization The ones who got chemotherapy got TC and actually did fine with it. And I think the information is vitally important because we do see a substantial number of intermediate recurrent scores. In the node positive situation, I think it's a little bit different. Our default is those patients should have chemotherapy. Can we identify a group of patients who can have the chemotherapy eliminated and just be treated hormonally? And I think this is a vitally important study just so that we can identify a group that can avoid the toxicity and the cost of treatment that might not be benefiting them. I'm kind of curious how, you know, this brings up the old biology versus, I guess, anatomy type of argument. And, you know, the issue with this node positive study and the whole concept of node positive is maybe they are going to have a substantial recurrence rate if they only take hormones, but will people with low recurrence score, even if they do have a substantial residual risk, will that risk get lower if you give them chemo? What do you think it's going to show? I think the most helpful study that I have seen to help me understand these issues is the retrospective analysis of the ATT&CK trial, where they looked at a large number of patients 
I think close to a thousand patients who had just either tamoxifen or anastrozole and no chemotherapy. And when they looked at those patients, the patients with one to three nodes, their recurrence scores were both very, very similar in that low range. When they had in that study four or more nodes, what happened was even though you had a low recurrence score, you had a very high rate of distant metastases at 10 years. So the way it played out was the patients with one to three nodes or no nodes in that study, because it included node positive and node negative patients, who had very, very similar 10-year rates of distant metastasis with their low scores. The minute you had four or more nodes, your 10-year rate of distant metastasis was up, as I recall, at 30 or 40%. So I would predict that it's very likely that it's not going to show a great chemotherapy benefit in these patients with limited nodes who have low scores. And it'll follow along with some of Kathy Albain's data, small number of patients, and some other data that are available. It seems like, you know, really the critical issue, though, is not so much what their recurrence rate's going to be, but whether or not that's going to change with chemo. I mean, even in these patients with four positive nodes, do we have evidence that chemo lowers that rate or if they have a low recurrence score? Well, I don't think we have great evidence. The only trials to me really that have been able to look at that retrospectively have been the trial with tamoxifen plus or minus CAF. And it would suggest that in those people with low scores that there was really no added value of CAF chemotherapy. But there's very small numbers of patients in that study. And people with intermediate scores in that group are perceived to have no value with chemotherapy. It wasn't statistically significant, but it was a dramatic difference in actually percentage risk of relapse at 10 years, but the number was so small it was underpowered. So chemotherapy may be ineffective in patients with low scores irrespective of nodes, but the number of nodes is certainly a very big driver of how to interpret recurrence scores because low recurrence scores with lots of nodes mean you're going to have lots of relapses at 10 years. 